We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike, but this time it's a different Mike. Today we're doing a draft preview, and I'm very excited to have joining us Mike Garcia. I have known Mike since 2005, and there is no one whose opinions I trust more on the draft than him. So very excited to have you on, Mike. Thank you for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. And so what we're going to do is we're going to separate this in kind of two different parts, and it may be a two-part podcast, uh, depending on how deep into the weeds that we get. And so the first part is going to be ready to contribute, guys. The Lakers front office and scouting department has done a great job of finding kind of these three, four-year college players, Jordan Clarkson, Larry Nance, uh, Kyle Kuzma, Josh Hart, that... um, are, are solid players that are in their early 20s, ready to contribute right away. However, those were not championship contenders, right? And so when I say ready to contribute, that does not necessarily mean I expect that at 22 or wherever we end up drafting, if we trade up or trade down, that we're going to find somebody who's going to be on the court in game seven of the NBA finals. However, I'm looking for guys who can possibly be in the rotation during the regular season and can be uh, contributors here and there in a playoff series, maybe spot minutes similar to what we saw from from THT here and there. So with that in mind, Mike, who are the first guys that come to mind that you think might be available at 22? Well, generally speaking, in terms of player readiness, I mean, I think Duarte has flown up the chart a little bit and people are starting to realize his three level shooting and his incredible accuracy. This is Chris Duarte out of Oregon, 24 years old. Yes, yes, exactly. And he's just been an amazing shooter this particular year. 71% at the rim, 52% all other two point ranges and 42% behind the arc. So it's just an outlier shooting year for him. Other guys that might be available are also Kessler Edwards, Jared Butler, and Miles McBride. And all of them bring some sort of varying skill that the Lakers might want to pay attention to. So let's get into Duarte first. Uh, describe what's his physical profile we're looking at. So uh, I didn't get anything official from the combine, but he's roughly around 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, wingspan, and around 190 pounds. So given that his age at 24, maybe you'd like 
to see him a little bit more muscular and physically developed, but he at least looks mature and is uh, able to withstand contact. And as I mentioned, his shooting profile is, is stellar, but what makes it especially interesting is he's projected as a 3ND role player type, but he had shot creating reps at Oregon and some out of pick and roll situations too. So if there's an opportunity where he needs to be more aggressive scoring the ball, he could just opt to do that. And in terms of catch and shoot shooting, uh, I read a, a stat from March 2nd where he was 45% in terms of catch and shoot shooting. And out of those shots, 43% were behind the arc. So I think that's especially important in regards to the Lakers. These guys might as well be aliens to me. Yes. Every single one <laughs> of them. I know some of their names. I listen to basketball podcasts. So I have a sense of who are the risers or who are the top guys in the draft. But I think that one of the interesting things with the Lakers that they've done is that they often pick sort of random guys who are sort of like, oh, Josh Hart, where'd he come from? Or Kyle Kuzma, like they may be nationally recognized names, but the idea is almost always like, oh, they're sort of out there a little bit. So in terms of these guys being totally new to me, I'm so I'm more of a player comp guy. Is there a player in the league right now that you would say Duarte sort sort of reminds you of? Like there so Dylan Brooks went to Oregon, right? Is it an easy comp to say he's kind of like Dylan Brooks or does this or just to give me a sense of all right, he could be a contributor. How do you see his skill level translating to the NBA with sort of a current profile guy? So with Dylan Brooks, I remember him basically having the same role he has now with Memphis, where he was a straight-up isolation scorer and taking on strong defensive assignments. With Duarte, it's really hard to, to discern between the play types. Uh, he gets a lot of hmm. you know dual screens, a lot of booker actions, what Phoenix actually runs. And then on sure. top of that, there's a lot of um, pick and roll situations, just a handful of opportunities a game. And he's just making simple decisions, nothing nothing too complicated, no advanced passes, just simple, basic decisions that, you know, with low turnovers and better outcomes. But out of those pick and roll situations, he's the guy that you want to trust to shoot the ball. If there's drop coverage, you trust him pulling up from mid-range and it's fine. If he's open behind the arc, by all means, spot up right away and if the defense goes behind on a pick and roll situation, then by all means, have him shoot the three. What do you think about his defense? Duarte wasn't the type of guy that took on the top score. He was more of a, in a team defensive scheme at Oregon. And what I noticed was he was taking on lesser wing assignments, but he was often the roamer where he's mm -hmm. digging uh, at the ball from into the post position and he has this kind of like one step lunge where he just does it really well and pokes the ball away. Or if it's along the perimeter, he's that, Oh, one pass away. He'll, he'll cut into the passing lane and shoot the gap and then take it down in transition. He's that kind of team defender. He recognizes rotations. He know he understands when to dive into the paint and protect the rim as well. But in terms of man defense, I didn't really see too many opportunities, especially against tougher assignments. And we've been talking so much, Mike, about the bigger, faster, stronger profile and team build of the Lakers. What is Duarte like as an athlete? So he's a really good athlete uh, out of junior college. He was actually more known of as a dunker and a facilitator rather than the off guard, 
spot up guy that he's projected to be. Uh, and I think that helps out because you had this guy where you're holding him back a little bit when he's known to be an aggressive player overall. It seems, at least by the intel over the last month, that Duarte was more likely to be available at 22 a month ago than he is now. So let's move to a guy that may be more, more available in that range that you brought up, and that's Jared Butler out of Baylor. You know, played, played with a couple of other p- potential pros, had uh, some medical issues, got medical clearance to be able to play. I know he's a guy that you're big on, 6'4 guard out of Baylor. Talk to us about Jared Butler. So Jared Butler is just an amazing three-level scorer, and his three-level scoring is mostly based around his three-point shot and his mid-range game. Uh, He also had some limited pick-and-roll opportunities. He played more of an off-ball role next to Davion Mitchell. But what makes Butler more unique as a prospect is he has the kind of handle where he can create separation, rather in isolation or in pick-and-roll situations altogether. Um, He shot 51% out of catch-and-shoot, and I know that his profile doesn't look great physically because he's, what, 6'2 and a quarter without shoes. He's only got a 6'4 wingspan. The standing reach is 8 foot, 2 and a half inch, which is pretty standard size for a point guard. But what I look for is, okay, if a player is that small, what can they do defensively to stay on the floor? What is the one thing? Are they outlier physical, whatever it might be? In Butler's case, he just has this unusual ability to block specifically three-point shots you don't expect six foot two guys with six four arms to block any shot <laughs> let alone three-point shots and I'm, I'm just looking at clips and i'm like i think that's the eighth clip in a row where i just see this three-point block and i'm looking at his block rate what do you mean it's 1.3 percent? that's just that's unheard of so he doesn't have a lot of low time right he just reacts quickly to it he extends on it and he's just able to reach just fine and and that's it um he puts some pressure on the rim but his his game is primarily focused on the perimeter i'd be very interested in hearing more about a potential fit for him defensively and his ability to guard point guards specifically right like a team that is built around um lebron james and even anthony davis guys who are high usage players and won't necessarily need a a lead ball handler type for as as much as maybe another wing type of player would like a paul george for for example um and and so and we all know Vogel being a defensive coach that any minutes a guy is going to get are likely going to be predicated on their ability to stay on the floor somewhat defensively. Do you see him being able to stay with point guards defensively and if being defended by point guards on the other side of the floor? Like, do you think that would aid him offensively? as maybe a smaller guard who wouldn't have to then be defended by like bigger wings, like shooting guard sized sized players at the pro level. Watching Butler last year, I know Davion Mitchell was the guy who took on the primarily tough initiating assignments at guard. Uh, Jared Butler was more of an off ball guy, but he's the kind of team defender that forces turnovers. And even though he took on bigger assignments, uh, the NCAA does always have a wealth of twos and threes that just overpower in isolation. So in a sense, you're kind of relying on him to be a guy that's going to close out, just help out in team rotation and just not be too much of a liability in terms of man defense. It's just really hard to find a point of attack defender 
especially uh, one at the NBA level. Can he switch, Mike? I wouldn't rely on him to switch. I think he's a one-position defender, which is fine. Caruso, AD, and LeBron James, they're all cheat codes in one way or another. Caruso, you can put him in multiple positions, and he's going to be at least average to amazing at point of attack, right? LeBron, switchable. AD, switchable. Butler, he's got to be a one-position guy. Sure, you got to hide him a little bit, but I would think that's kind of the same with Chris Duarte. Even if he's a bigger player, you don't want him taking on these major wing assignments defensively. So um, in terms of the offensive end, though, I think his shooting is so good, especially off the dribble with a quick release, he's going to draw the gravity. Even if he doesn't get a ton of volume there, defenders do have to respect that shot because it's such a quick shot. It's hard to contest right off the bat. Short arms, I'm not usually the biggest fan, but one of the best things about it is you get quick releases. Stephen Curry's the best example of that. And along those lines, Mike, one thing that stood out from my very brief uh, tape watching of, of each of the guys that, that we brought up is I see some uh, talent as a movement shooter, right? They ran him off of some screens. He was he can be an effective shooter without the ball in his hands in a way that he reminded me kind of his overall game, a little bit of Patty Mills. I don't know if that's somebody that you can see some some Jared Butler in him, but I saw some of that ability where LeBron might have the ball in his hands, but you got Butler running off of screens and, and that has potential. Yeah, so one of the things I liked about Butler was I actually had him as a late first, early second ranking last season. And most of that was him being an initiator with the ball handling. You see him out of pick and roll situations back then, how everything's changed up to this season. So now he's more of this off-ball guy. And, well, you have uh, LeBron as a primary initiator. He just, he's seamless right into that role. And he got all the good shots. He didn't force anything. Everything was within the context of the offense, and they were all high-percentage shots, and his percentages reflect that as well. So one quick last thing about Butler. Um, we talk about players' size a lot. What about his physicality, right? And so there is a certain amount of dog that I think you need to have in you if if you're going to be a smaller player. And the Lakers often ask their guards to set screens. They set screens for Anthony Davis. They set screens for LeBron James. And there's a certain amount of tenacity I think you need to have as a smaller player to stick in the league, especially. But I think the on the Lakers, especially to sort of do some of the dirty work things that their guards are asked to do a lot of. Does Butler sort of have that trait in your eyes? Let me just start with when I look at prospects, generally speaking, um, I look for guys that play bigger than their listed size, or at least look on par. Baylor is one of the more, physical programs on the offensive and defensive end. And that reflected in their defense. They're one of the top tier defenses this year. Uh, I think Davion Mitchell shouldered a ton of that. So when I think of it in context to the Lakers, it's well, if Mitchell shouldered the load defensively or did the small things really well, who would do that for the Lakers? In this case, it would be Caruso. It's a similar role through those smaller aspects with Butler. He's more of a perimeter oriented guy. He did what he could with the best to the best of his ability, and it was enough for a championship run in NCAA, which is great. When it comes to the off-ball screening and defensive rebounding, sure, there are opportunities there that I could improve on. That'd be great. But as a prospect, sometimes I look away deliberately from T-Fit and just think, okay, what does this guy do best, and will it stick really well? And for him, it is that shot accuracy and that shot variation and it's very hard to find especially for three level scores regardless of size yeah three level scores at the 22 pick aren't available all that often 
Mike, this is great, man. Thanks so much. Let's let's take a quick break. We're going to come back and get into more of the guys that are ready to contribute, starting off with the guy that I like that I'm curious on your thoughts on. If you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all the other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you for just the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com backslash join. That's bwhustle.com backslash join. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, Mike, we're in the vein of bigger, faster, stronger, and and whatnot. There's a 6'9 wing out of a great defensive program in Virginia in Trey Murphy the third, right? 6'9, seven-foot wingspan. His splits were nuts, man. 50, 43, 92, I think, yep. were his uh his shooting splits. Very clear three and deep uh prospect to me. Um I'm curious on on your thoughts of him. I think I may be a little higher on him than you are. So Trey Murphy is a little bit of a late bloomer. He's age 21, played for Rice University, and he just had a giant growth spurt. So 
now he's roughly six eight, six nine. He's got the long arms, seven one wingspan or so. And the thing is, he's his frame hasn't fully built in yet, right? So at Virginia, he had a very simplified role of just be a spot up guy, just attack the closeouts. If there's off pro opportunities, absolutely take it, be aggressive to the rim. And uh, at times he was switched defensively onto point of attack players as well, where he kept up laterally very, very well. I just wish he was a little bit more physical. That's all. Physicality on the wing, I think, is super important. Um, and I think it plays into the idea that Pete's been talking about and and we've been discussing on the pod about bigger, stronger, faster, right? And And I think strength is something that especially if you're a late bloomer, I think you can sort of grow into that a little bit more. How do you see Murphy being able, like, do you think that he will be able to sort of add add muscle, add strength, um, because I already see a lot of physical tools there and rounding that that out is is probably a good ticket for him to, to stick in the league for longer or to be able to grow into a more advanced role. Trey has a great frame to add on muscle. Uh, the question is really how fast can you add the strength and how soon does it become functional, right? And what you don't want to do is just overload a, a player right away when they're coming off an NCAA year, tournament, pre-draft camp, um, pre-season, and then right into the regular season. Now it's the busiest two years of their lives, and sometimes the body can't take it as easily. So I think he's more of a long-term projected prospect. And when that frame builds out eventually, then yes, he can be a tremendous 3 and D prototype wing who, as I mentioned earlier, attacks closeouts and hits threes. So you don't see him as a ready-to-contribute guy right away? Not right away, no. Even what I do like is his shot is very quick. It, it almost looks like he doesn't step into a shot, but he just it's like a slingshot from the corner, and it's really hard to contest, and he's got the wingspan to shoot over defenses or at least through contesting arms. So that'll help out right away. But in terms of at least being more physical in the paint, being able to absorb contact any of those things attacking closeouts with physicality, especially drivers who use their shoulders or use their off arm a little bit to shield the ball. I would expect that immediately now. Yeah, he's got a bit of a high center of gravity that'll knock him off of his spot in in those uh, circumstances. I see a guy, though, that who can defend multiple positions once he, yes. is, he is ready, right? I see a one through four type of guy. I'm curious on your, just expand a bit on, on the defensive end with him. What I watched out of Murphy was his tremendous ability to keep up defensively. He would get switched on a lot, especially on point of attacks, whether it was wings or point guards alike. And what I wish that he would do is show that physicality, use the chest, absorb the contact around the free throw line and into the painted area. I didn't really see that out of him, but instead it was more along the lines of, keeping up laterally all the way to the rim. Okay, he can defend with his feet, great. He can defend with his limbs and it really extend out ultra the shot. But when it comes to being a little bit of a fire hydrant and showing resistance, I didn't really see much of that. And within a specific team concept, maybe it would work better. But in his case, until that frame builds out a little bit more, or he's at least willing to show that physicality all the way out to the perimeter, or at least the key, then I wouldn't expect that immediate defensive impact. That's an interesting thing, right? Because in some ways, like that was an issue that Kyle Kuzma had this season, right? Is that guys who are, when you're a taller wing and, and 
Kuz is bigger than you think he is, right? Like if like if you stand next to Kuz, you're like, oh damn, you are six nine, six ten, right? And and when you are when you get switched on to smaller guys, that that center of gravity, they just get underneath you a little bit and they're able to leverage you out out of position. And there's going to be that's going to happen to you a lot unless you're very proportionately built like a Kawhi Leonard or like a Paul George or a LeBron James, where it's just like, oh, you're naturally just sort of big enough to absorb that 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 blow. It sounds like, though, that he he is able to sort of leverage maybe his length or his foot speed in in order to to swallow up offensive players a little bit more but but you're still looking for that physicality does that sound about right with him yeah that's that's completely right what i think opposing point guards see when they look at him defensively is oh i've got this switch and i don't want this guy contesting my jump shot i'm just gonna go right at his chest and they're just going to attack him and that makes sense right he wins defensively if he backs up and he uses his limbs and he's contesting those shots but for any point guard, they would just go right at him. Absolutely. Good stuff, Mike. Thank you for that. So let's move on to a local guy, a three-year player out of Pepperdine, uh, Kessler Edwards. I think he's probably more projected in the second from what I've seen. Is that correct, Mike? Yes, that's the that's the projections that I've seen from multiple mock drafts. But he's a guy that you'd like. Talk to me about him. Let me just get into that a little bit. So he's a six-seven player. With a 6'11 and a quarter wingspan, he's got an 8'10 standing reach. 8'10 is a great mark. That's usually the length of a power forward. And what's unique about him is he had a lot of experience playing as a big man before turning into a perimeter player. So the physicality that we mentioned earlier about Trey is not a problem with Kessler Edwards. Now there's this guy that he's got this strong upper body and he understands a certain level of rim protection and team rotation And so when people attack him defensively, they can't go at his chest. He is a fire hydrant. They get stopped. Um, If he does get beat, it's a little bit by foot speed, but it's a contested shot. And that's really all you can ask for defensively. Uh, Offensively, he played three years at Pepperdine. I think he shot about 39% through all three years. And he had a dramatic increase in uh, free throw percentage throughout those years. So now the idea of, what we would like out of Trey Murphy to be as a three and D wing. There's Kessler Edwards, who's a three-year player who's more physically built and has this better understanding of physicality and team rotation and wing defense. And he also just happens to have the shot as well. So yes, I like him a ton. Are we looking at a three and D guy with him? Yes, we're looking at a three and D guy. I think has him projected in the second round is the shot looks funky, right? When you're looking at shooters, you want guys who can, uh, translate energy from their base of their feet all the way through the shot, right? Curry makes it look absolutely effortless. Some guys have hitches along the way and it deadens the energy all the way into the shot. And next thing you know, it's flat. In Kessler Edwards case, the shot is flat. It just is. Um, You see that he's trying to generate from his legs. And then when it comes to the release point, sometimes there's a hitch towards the top and you can see the flight trajectory of the ball and it doesn't really break the top of the backboard height. When, mm-hmm. when you're watching threes, right? Mm-hmm. And when he misses, he misses generally short. So when I was watching the draft combine, even just the few shots that he did take, the shots were short, and then it looked like mid-game he was trying to adjust and quicken the shot, which is a fine adjustment, but 
I don't think it's about quickening the shot as opposed to just building a stronger base from his legs. And then just that energy transfer will carry into the shot release at the given point. And then when that happens, the three point range will show itself because he's proven his shot accuracy for three years already. So, so yeah, he's a great shooter and he's proven. When you talk about his defense and his intangibles and the idea that he was a big player earlier in in his career, do you see him then as more of like a three four? Do you see like in terms of positional versatility, is he sort of that combo forward type type of guy that could play in bigger or smaller lineups? Yeah, that's exactly what I like out of him. There is that positional versatility between either forward spot. You have the the height and the reach to defend fours, and then when he adds even that much more strength, along with his physical play defensively, he should be able to handle fours defensively as well. But at least earlier in his career, just where he is right now, handling threes, um, not, maybe not top offensive options, but secondary wing types, should not be that much of an issue because one of the things I like about him as a more of an NBA ready player is you look for a certain predictability out of young guys. If you understand their tendencies defensively and or offensively, you reduce the turnovers, you cut down the mistakes. He doesn't seem like the guy that's going to make a ton of mistakes and can actually raise the floor of the lineup on the floor. I think about a lot about like a player who is going to contribute on a really good good team and a lot of times that comes down to intangibles to me like do you do the little things well and that idea of raising the floor of a lineup typically means and not making a lot of mistakes means that you are dialed into the little things and and so can you talk to me a little bit more about um like his rebounding and his like off ball defense and and how he fits into a team concept defensively in terms of um, rotating from the perimeter back to the paint and then back to the perimeter again. Because these are things that I think as a forward, especially, those are the things that you have to do well if you're going to be on the floor in leverage games right where it's like okay well we we need a stop here and that means you have to do all of these little things well enough or else you're going to be on the bench right so in Kessler's case well generally speaking usually I want guys to develop their guard skills first but in Kessler's case he's the inverse and because he learned those big man skills early when he sets a screen you know it's a purposeful screen when he boxes out he gets the man to the paint tries to get his foot on top of the other guy Uh, gets his base low and it's squared away. Now his rebounding percentage is maybe 11%, but when it comes to the details of doing those little things, whether it's screen setting, boxing out, executing a certain defensive scheme, he understands, he grasps all of that and he can execute each kind. He's been put in positions where he's the big out out of the pick and roll defense, whether it's meeting the level of the screen or even just dropping and he looked comfortable in either spot. Now, the switches for him to defend wings, at least initially, and foot speed may be a little bit of an issue, but if I'm on a, on a certain team and I understand this out of my personnel, I know when to rotate and help out if necessary. Because at least he's going to provide some resistance with his physicality and 
that level of predictability is really hard to find. So that's what I like out of them as, in terms of player readiness and especially doing the little things all together. All right, Mike, let, let's wrap up with one more guy that the Lakers brought in, right? I think it's important to cover guys that the Lakers have actually brought in to, to work out. Um, sure. And that's Io Dusunmu out of Illinois. Lengthy 6'4 guard. Talk to us about him. He played for the University of Illinois. I had him as a late first, early second, even last year. And then he stayed at Illinois and just improved the shooting a ton. He just strikes me as a player that is in that role where THT is kind of in, where next level, he's more of that three-point shooting, attack closeout, defend a guard position kind of player. So that's where I see him next level. Maybe down the line, that'll lead to more initiating and pick and roll reps altogether. But in terms of what I see, at least initially, that's where I think he'd be the most comfortable. All right, Mike. So with all the guys that we've discussed, and you can go off of the list uh, that we've discussed, give us a top five ready to contribute for the Lakers next season that has a decent chance of being available at 22. On my list, it's Duarte, one. Um, he's, the physicality is there. Then it's Butler. The skill set is is there. And I think he does just enough to keep himself on the floor. Then after that, it's Kessler, then McBride, and then Ayo Desomu. Good stuff, man. Thank you so much, Mike. I'm excited. The next pod is going to be on the upside guys and hidden gems. This is an area where Mike has been killer over the 15 plus years that we've been talking draft. I've seen so many of his guys end up thriving in the league from Chris Middleton to a bunch of other guys. So. We'll be back for tomorrow's pod to, to cover those guys, a lot of whom the Lakers have brought in. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Bad next to the winner. It's on the way. Down. 48 points, 16 rebounds, with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed, a Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston, of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane, back for Gasol, pretty pass, and it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant, picked up by Bell. There's the move, two, one, miss it! Unbelievable, it's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant, yes! And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.